When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dug Too Deep, the officially unofficial podcast for the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. On Amazon Prime, I'm Jim. And I'm your elf, Aaron Dork. <laughs> and this is the Season 1, Episode 5, Partings podcast. Uh, Aaron, how... <laughs> our, our resident uh, dork, how are you feeling about this episode? I like this episode. I will say that, like, if we were playing the old game of who won the week between Hot D and T-Rop, that Hot D would probably be winning pretty consistently week over week, except for maybe the first two. When he had the first two going against the second Hot D episode. Um, But one thing Hot D wishes it had is the chemistry and humor of Adurin and Elrond or Mm. just everything that's going on with Nori and the Harfoots. Yeah, uh, yeah, that is consistently delightful and entertaining, uh, and I like it a lot. And the Numenorian stuff still—I think it's getting better. Um, it still struggles to like hold me the, the the exact same way. But I thought Galadriel had a pretty good fight scene this week. Um, mm-hmm. I really liked seeing the Numenorians in their full battle dress. I kind of—I'm starting to really take a shine to this Farazon, Farazon guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like this this kind of schemer politician type that I really like in these fantasy <laughs> medieval settings. Uh, so I think this, um, other than the first two episodes, which I thought were amazing uh, introductions, I thought this is like the probably the second. This is the the second best episode. Again, not counting the first two or I guess counting the first two as one um, <laughs> that I've seen. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think like tonally these two shows could not be any different, right? I mean, the comparisons are natural. They came out at the same time. They're in the fantasy genre. Um, yeah. And they're two of the, the highest profile fantasy uh, properties in the world. So yeah, JRR versus GRR. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's even the, the similar uh, naming there. So like, yeah, I, I don't know. I personally, my flavor is more House of the Dragon. I know that's not true of everyone, but I have been enjoying Rings of the Power. I, uh, the Rings of Power, I will say, I aside from a couple of very bright spots, I really like Durin. I really like Elrond, their whole thing. I really like the Harfoots. I think, yes, the fight scene, like you said, with Galadriel is very good. Um, I think this is a very clunky episode. Really? Yeah, from a storytelling perspective, I found it bizarre in some of its choices. Um, Okay. Specifically in the way that it glosses over a lot of what I viewed as very important connecting scenes that that just never happen in this episode. Like the queen, and maybe it's because it would have been a bit redundant, but the queen being forced to make a decision about whether to proceed given her father's warning and the terrorism that happens and destroys half their boats that to me was like a big hey queen you have to now reassert whether you want to do this or not and they just never show the scene 
they never show the scene where she makes the decision yeah like literally halburn grabs his sack which uh-huh. i loved it like i was just like this <laughs> is just his up. testicles right yep you know his his uh his motivating will like he yeah he sacks up and and gets a banger of a speech they find him some copper armor and now he's the king in the south i yeah i guess I, you're right they i because i was expecting some kind of like you know, counterpart to the Queen's rah-rah speech where like her and Gladrill and Halbrand yeah. are all singing the same song and really get people behind them. Um, but now they just, they're just uh, going off. Yeah. The, it seems the, like Halbrand was what it all hinged on. And I guess that's okay, but I don't think they really spelled that out very well. Um, it's very but, tenacious D. This is not the greatest political speech you've ever heard. <laughs> no, this is just a tribute. Yeah. Yeah, oh, speaking of bad political speeches, this, this episode is a tale of two speeches. One given by Bronwyn, which I think is the least inspiring speech I've ever heard. <laughs> and the other given by Aaron Deere to Theo, which I think is one of the greatest like simplest most concise inspiring speeches i've ever heard and it's beautiful so like i i'm torn on how i feel about the speeches and the dialogue in the show this is have like some excellent like i was i there is some very stirring motivational dialogue like i was really mm-hmm. moved by gil what gil glad says about hope being the yeah uh, the first of the senses to waken it's the first one with its eyes open the last one to shut its eyes um i thought some of that stuff was good it reminds me honestly this show reminds me a lot of foundation where okay. there are some really good big ideas some really amazing visuals there is some struggles like connecting everything and making all of the stuff as equally interesting and compelling, you know, because famously foundation like sword whenever you're doing Trantor and all the clone dynasty. And then when you went to uh, what was the terminus, uh, the terminus mm-hmm. plot kind of like, you know, lagged behind that quite a bit. I feel like they're struggling with that stuff, too. And and I'm very, you know, again, I love Foundation, but it did have some 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 room to grow. And I think mm-hmm. five episodes in, I can say the same about T-Rop already like that. Yeah. If they've got yeah. if they can keep where they're at here and just tighten things up a little bit going into the next season, I think they'll have a real banger on their hands. Yeah, and I know it's hard to write this show. Um, there's a lot going on and you're dealing with epic scenarios and grand themes and like writing all that into grounded, believable characters and dialogue. And the hardcore tough. fans are always there with knives out, ready so to carve and slice you. Yeah, you, yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, not an easy task, but I will say, I, I think they're doing an okay job with it. I'd like to see them improve come second half of the season or maybe second season. Um, yeah, I think there's another instance I'm not going to go through all of my grievances with this episode here. We can talk about them later. But the other instance that is a lot like this, where they just skip a scene that I think is vital, um, is where Isildur goes from being the guy who's not going to get to go on the voyage to the guy who saves a life and is suddenly on the voyage. I, I think I understand maybe why that happened, but I need that scene to connect the dots between saving Farazone's son and being included on the voyage especially since Isildur knows he committed arson that blew up two ships like yeah I just need a scene of him very quickly saying like going to Farazam coming to him saying thank you for saving my son's life if there's anything you need and Isildur going actually but what what does Isildur just sit on this information that the, the Farazam's kid tried to blow up the ships like that's the thing Apparently. that like he's just like I'm because cool he was with a being away right 
because because he would have gotten ratted oh, out. Oh, then Isildur's just I'm fuck Isildur. I I am I am I am all uh, how you be all in on being all out of somebody because I think right, Isildur right. is just a piece of shit on this show. I hate him. Like I think his friends need to ditch him. They're cooler. It, it, yes, honestly, I, I, the son of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He's new Isildur. Just make I he's the he's the king I want to follow. I do really like him, um, and I like how he. He was quick to forgive, but not forget the guy's sins, right? Like he said, you're still probably my best friend, even though you've done this terrible thing. But yeah. I can't include you on this mission because I, you're a wild card. You're yeah, the Charlie you're flippity gibbet. Yeah. Yeah. You might just check out at a vital time when we need you. No, sorry. Uh, yeah, that's all great. But like I needed that connective scene. And I okay. don't feel like they did either of those connective scenes, which were pretty much vital to understanding the story. I did uh, in in, in uh, beautiful Lord of the Rings uh, Rings of Power moments. I thought the myth that they've kind of weaved exclusively for this show about how um, Mithril was developed, like this epic oh, Titanic yeah. struggle between a Balrog trying to eliminate the last light of symbols versus an elf, powerful elf lord trying to maintain it, and then a lightning strike, and the way they envisioned all that stuff was fucking epic. I loved mm-hmm. it. Um, it's another. It's, I don't know what uh, what John and the, the like. I said the fans that are that are really up on this stuff think about them. You know, changing kind of like a little bit of Middle Earth history, but I thought that was cool and it's a neat. As far as I know, they never explain how we get this like fantastic metal and where it goes and all that kind of stuff. And like, I thought this was a nice. Mm-hmm fantasy you know like it's as it's as pure as light and as unyielding as evil i guess that's fucking cool yeah no i I like that origin story for mithril it's cool um and yeah a lot of the other stuff in this episode i really enjoyed so on balance it's like an okay episode that could have been tightened up a bit all right but maybe we should get into the details because i do have one other big complaint and it's maybe the biggest complaint (laughs) but we'll get there all right. We start off with Nori telling Meteor Man about the Harfoot migration patterns and how dangerous that trip is. And Meteor Man thinks he might be a danger, but Nori says, nah, you're good. You're good. And then they begin the migration as Poppy sings to them. Great scene. This gives me a lot like one of my favorite animated films of all time, The Iron Giant. And this plot is essentially The Iron Giant, a stranger from the sky has come down. He's so much huger than the protagonists. Um, but he also has got this like childlike innocence, obvious great power, and it's going to be, you know, whether he was fashioned as a weapon or something to save, it's going to be up to him to make that choice. And I, when I realized like, oh, this is this, this is just essentially the iron giant. I'm like, this, this could work. This could work really well. I will say that they really painted the meteor man in a lot darker of a palette. Uh, this, this episode, <laughs> they're doing a great job keeping me up in the air on, whether this guy is evil or good dude i again this they're they're firing on all cylinders with the harfoots here and mm-hmm. i've thought some of the songs have been eh, some of the songs have been mm. this uh walking song by poppy's mom uh which i think you're supposed to understand she's one of the harfoots that got left behind she's one of the reasons that poppy was bawling about that uh like she's reluctantly to sing it but she starts and i think she had a pretty voice and this is a great song like mm-hmm. i fucking love this song um, you know, I've traded all I've known for the unknown road ahead. My strength tells me no, but the path demands yes. Like I, this is a really good song about perseverance and overcoming, yeah. and not giving up. And it's 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 a nice tune too. I could see you singing the. Uh, I could see myself singing this on a hike. 
Yeah, no, I really like this song. I know Tolkien fans probably love this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure this isn't well, an actual song in the book, but I have like a confession. Every single time I've read the Lord of the Rings series, and when I get to three pages of italics, I uh-huh. fucking skip that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have to. never, I have never been like, I swear to God, the Council of Elrond out of its 75 pages of court boardroom debate, probably 15 are italicized songs. Yeah. And yeah, no, I, so like, I'm, I'm not that Tolkien guy, but I do, I do like this, the song. I think it's, it's, it's beautiful. I love, again, the stranger and Nori's chemistry is great. That guy, mm-hmm. It tickled me and t- t- my great thumb. That's hilarious. <laughs> Nori, just her matter of fact way of talking about their migration. And like, we go here and we snail while the snailing's good. And oh, yeah, snails. He likes the snails. And mm-hmm. um, I like the sentiment I liked that, it. that she says, you're good because you're here to help. And if that isn't like the ultimate definition of good versus sure. bad, I don't know what is. Like, are you here to help or are you here to get in the way and get your yeah. own? Because yeah. We don't need the latter. We need the former. Um, yeah, I really found that attractive. Um, and then we talked about this in the feedback podcast last week mm-hmm. where we were wondering, like, okay, I, are they expecting us to believe that all these things are happening simultaneously? The timelines are stretched out on on the tower that the elves are building in a yeah. weird way, but you compressed here. They've spent, you know, now probably months hiking, right? So the, the timelines mm. are sort of evening out on all the different mm-hmm. uh, plot lines. So I, I don't know if that's something they're intentionally doing um, to kind of catch up to those other plot lines, but I see that happening. Uh, did you recognize the Gray Marshes location? Is is this the place where Sam or Frodo almost gets sucked under? Yeah, by the, the, the ghostly remains of the okay. elves and men that died in this battle long ago. Even though that was a battle long ago, that lies yet ahead of us uh, further on in the Second Age. So this is oh, just, it's no longer, it's not the dead marshes yet. It's just the gray marshes. It's recognizably okay. the same locations. They're just uh, 100% less creepy corpses. Oh, that's cool. Uh, that are there to Peter Jackson yeah, into the water. <laughs> All right. Yeah, makes sense. Because, again, this isn't Mordor yet. The Southlands haven't turned into hell on Middle Earth. So, like, all this is, like, more kind of pristine and innocent. The world has not been completely darkened uh, by the impact of Sauron yet. Nice. There's a lot more Rings of Power to ponder. We'll be back right after this short break. Here are the weekly highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Apple TV is releasing a new series based on Blake Crouch's novel, Dark Matter. Aaron and I are big fans of his work, so we're picking up the new show on day one. Join us this Wednesday for the preview podcast. The Shogun Limited series might be over, but that doesn't mean our Shogun coverage has to end. We've got the wrap-up podcast releasing this Tuesday, where we'll consider all your feedback and final thoughts on the series. And because we like the show so much, we decided to go all the way back to 1980 to cover the first TV adaptation of the novel. Do what you can to find a copy and join us this Thursday for the first of our four-part podcast on the 1980 Shogun miniseries. And finally, the latest first-run movie, The Fall Guy, features Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling. He's a stuntman tasked with finding the star of his ex-girlfriend's movie when he suddenly goes missing. Is it a rom-com? Yes. Does that mean I'll automatically hate it? Not if the trailer lives up to its promise. Join us for the podcast on Bald Move Pulp this Thursday night. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app.
getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved the venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Now, let's dig a little deeper on Doug Too Deep. Uh, there's a quick scene, quick couple of scenes here, actually. Um, first, <laughs> I don't know how to describe them. Some weirdos find the crater where Meteor Man landed. I, I think they're Swedish. I think they're a Swedish metal band. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They have, they have those darkened fingers, which I thought... The darkened fingers, they're they're um, very ambiguous in gender presentation. Uh-huh. Uh, they've got like the helms and and armor of a fair elf yep. battle b- b- battalion, but there's something sinister. Mm-hmm. Are these uh, these are are these Adar's folk? Maybe I was wondering about that because we didn't cut right over to Adar. Um, but what, it was, like what are they in the same location? But yeah, what are they? Did, did, what are they doing? Do you think? I, I, it seems to me they're trying to track down Meteor Man. They they're investigating to this crater. They just got there a little late. Yeah, and and one of them was carrying this like it looks like the shield that uh, per, is it Perseus used to kill uh, Medusa. Mm. Yeah, where be. it's like mirrored on the front. It's got some kind of mirror finish, but on the reverse side, it's got that same star constellation pattern that the Meteor Man was oh. obsessed with. I noticed that. So there's definitely huh. a connection to Meteor Man and to the extent that Meteor Man is good or evil. I think these people are definitely coded evil. Yeah. But again, was he trying to warn them about the star stuff or was he? I just don't know. Again, he's he's a blank. He's like Iron Giant. Like Iron Giant turns out was a weapon sent to Earth to conquer. But he had other had other ideas along the way. So it's interesting to spoil a 20 year old cartoon that they're coded evil because I think I think I agree. Like they have very dour, uh, angry looking expressions. They have these darkened, uh, evil looking hands. Right. Um, 
which are very similar to what you see kind of happening to Meteor Man later in the episode. As he uses his power, yeah. Right. Um, but they're also wearing white, and they're also wearing, like you said, elvish-looking armor. I feel like they're keeping that pretty ambiguous, too. So... Yeah, I could. I didn't get a load of their ears. I, I couldn't really tell if they were, you know, pointy or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. That's like I said. This is a, a whole new faction, as far as I could tell. I, I I couldn't even tell you who these might these people might belong to. Okay. Um. Then we cut over to Adar, who is informed that the tunnel they've been digging is complete. He ponders the sun for a bit and then tells his servant to summon the legions. He's literally trying to destroy the light. Literally. Yeah. And as, as John helped us to understand in, in one of the podcasts he joined us on, that uh, the sun and the moon are fruits of the great trees of Valinor that used to provide the light. So this is yeah. the last remaining bits of that divine light. And he's out to fucking poison it. Um, and he's kind of like he's it's also because he's interesting character because he's he's basking in the light in contrast to his orc servants who are who are broasting in the light. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's even saying that like this is going to cost me something like I'm out to kill this light, but also I'm going to miss the sensation of appreciating this warmth. Yeah. Uh, like I got to kill the last little bit of evil in me. It's a fascinating guy. I have no idea what they're, what they're going f- with here. And yeah. why, let me ask you this. Why is the tunnel complete now? What does that mean? Do mean? The tunnel is complete. They, the tunnel to where? To, I assume they were. Cause they're doing a lot of open air travel at the end of this episode where if the sun comes up and they haven't taken that tower, there's going to be a f- orc fricassee. Yeah, I was assuming they were digging to Os, Os Tirith. Is that the name of this place? Yeah, the, the Eastern Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, or the Southern Tower. There, following the trail, you know, of Theo and his hilt. But I could be wrong. I mean, I, mean, I, did, I think they clearly they were they were they were tunneling through the villages so they could search uh, and, and find that uh, sword buried. Mm-hmm. But now it's like the tunnel is complete. But like, I don't I don't know what they were tunneling to or around because it seems like, again, they're doing a lot of open air travel. Um, maybe yeah. they think they can get all this thing done by nightfall. Who knows? We'll see. I suppose. Uh, all right, Bronwyn up in the tower does what I would consider just a piss poor job of inspiring her people to stand and fight against Adar, and Waldrig does a better job of convincing them to bend the <laughs> knee to Adar to survive. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He fails to convince Theo though. I is this the weakest speech anyone I've ever seen anyone get behind? Yeah, she's like, you know what? Uh, someone you don't know mm-hmm. is coming in and saying, you got to bend the knee, we're going to kick your ass in. And these elves we all hate, uh, we're going we're gonna to throw in at their lot and stand and fight. It's important to stand and fight. Will you stand and fight with me? It's like, you're our pharmacist. It's like, it's like if the, you know... <laughs> Like a butt, like a bud tender from your local dispensary, all of a sudden said, "You know, come and fight with me." It's like I don't know. Um, and then the other guy, like, the way she describes it is like, "We can take this tower and turn it from a symbol of oppression to a symbol of strength." And I'm like, "Is that a, a is that a thing that is going to inspire people to fight with you? Maybe give them personal yeah. stakes. Maybe say like, also, if how we much don't, you're all going to die? <laughs> all that stuff." 
Symbol of strength, one thing. How much food's left in that wheelbarrow? Huh? <laughs> How strong huh? are we going to be when the rabbits run out? Yeah. Yeah, when we pass out from, like, low blood sugar. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, and then, like, yeah, this uh, butcher, baker, candlestick maker steps up and is like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck all what she says. We're, we are, at our core, evil people who follow evil other evil people. So, <laughs> Everybody's and, like, yeah. Yeah, maybe we and, are And, evil. like, you know, you can say our ancestors were bad people, and you can say they're wicked people and you can say they did child sacrifice and followed Morgoth the evil and fed the, the trees of Valinor to Ungoliath. But you know what you can't say about them? They weren't survivors. Huh? Huh? They lived and then the people are like, fuck yeah and he takes, takes, takes half of them with them. No, no one has ever been evil people do not consider themselves evil. Like You're not going to inspire somebody to be evil by saying, hey, you're evil already. Let's be evil together. Yeah. But that's, like being a survivor, a you know, yes, like, hey, we serve. This is the way we survived before and we'll survive again. And yet we're going to face certain death if we fit. I mean, yeah, it, the charms. I can see the charms of living versus dying. No, oh, obviously. Yeah. Um, uh, let me ask you this. I thought that uh, the butcher baker candlestick maker made a truly piss poor attempt to recruit Theo, knowing yeah. that he has this sort of power mm-hmm. that is the linchpin to the enemy's plan. Uh, I thought he would make a much bigger play for that or try to get the kid to give it to him or something. But it's kind of like, Theo, this is our chance, Theo. You and me, sword bros. No, Theo. Theo. It felt like that guy yeah. uh, that always shows up at Shooter McGavin's things. Like, you know, <laughs> hey, can we go to Sizzler later, Theo? I'll, I'll save you a table. Sure. It's like, uh, no, is is weird. It's weird because Theo seems so important and yet he's going to stay here. And I guess I'm yeah. glad that Theo is not going to turn evil. I was really Me worried too. last episode that we we're going to see him twisted into some kind of dark thing. And Especially when uh, they leave this scene with, you know, him, him not having made a decision yet. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, we don't see him go, but he, we don't see him say, no, I'm not going either. So I was worried. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think Walter just like hoped Theo would get caught up in the momentum of the crowd, right? <laughs> the evil just, and all the evil talk. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like see all these people following him and be like, uh, yeah, but I mean, is he really going to abandon his mom to go hang out with this guy who yeah. like kind of weirded him out the last time they talked? No. Yeah. Um, I do wonder if they'd have done a better if they could have done a better job with like a Waldred kind of really leaning on the tradition and uh, forefathers angle and, and like not that they're evil. It's like, you know, that there's been, you know, uh, our old ways have been lied and slandered and you've got your heads twisted up by these knife eared fucks. And yes, I am using slurs on this podcast and that, you know, that you're, you're going to let this woman talk you into dying when we could regain our strength and our pride again. Because mm-hmm. that's that's honestly how you, it's really easy. It, you know, that's a that's an, a time tr- uh, proven effective way to as, as a populist to to gain uh, uh, sway over an oppressed people to like, you know, harken back to your imagined former greatness and sure. say we can go back and recapture that. If only you will listen to this and follow this strong, strong person. So mm-hmm. uh, I felt like they could have done a better job, but it, it wasn't terrible. And again, Bronwyn didn't make it easy or hard for him. No, with her, very her speech. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go over to the Numenorean ships being prepared for their voyage to Middle-earth, and Isildur asks his dad to get him a spot on the boats, and he refuses. 
I mean, Isildur is just a spoiled, entitled shit. Yeah. No. Uh, v- 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 what's his name? Vil Villamore. I forget his friend's name. Uh, the yeah, one that I'm calling right. Dwayne the Rock Johnson Jr. Uh huh. Yeah. D. 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 T. R. J. Jr. Yeah. Um. First of all, I gotta say that I, I, in in the uh, establishing shot, they're getting the fleet ready for war, and there's conspicuously in the background a, ho- a miserable looking horse, yeah, that's being loaded into the cargo bay, just like in the sling. He's kind of hanging there with his head all dejected. He's very, it's a living kind of. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say that's probably Barrack, right? Um, I think so. Uh-huh. But but yeah, like Elendil's got him dead to rights. He's like, oh, come on, dad, load me into the front of the line. Pull some strings for me. He's like, what's your qualifications? I'm sorry. Did you pass a sea guard? Are you in the merchant's guild? Are you in the horse guild? And that point where that point he made was powerful. It's like, why you've been feigning fidelity to traditions of our people. Mm -hmm. These men here getting on the boat, they've been living them. They've been finding ways to contribute and serve and not fucking shit up for everybody else. Mm hmm. Um and yeah, like you know the whole thing's like I thought you wanted to, to go west or? well now I don't he's like this this fucking enthusiast man yeah uh yeah I it's yeah he's like the loudest guy at the political rally and the first one to sh- the the take off once the hard work starts you know like yeah. that's like that seems to be the character they're pointing at Isildur and it's not an attractive portrait no for sure um I'm liking him less and less as time goes on here. I kind of they're wondering because like maybe we're supposed to understand that he's a bit of a shit because he's a bit of a shit in the movies too, like you know uh, Elrond's like come on throw this ring in we're right here and you know like uh, John pointed out in the Warhounds that in the books he's a lot more measured of like you know not no I'm going to use it for evil but like you know we I fought and my dad and my brother died and I this is I'm taking this as a, a weir guild this is this is for them you know kind of thing oh okay. but he's. In in, in, the, in the movies, he's more of just like, no, I'm going to keep it to be my own dark. Lord. I wonder if they're kind of setting the seeds up for that, you know, be, they're like, yeah. yeah, maybe he f- follows his dad and all this kind of stuff. But like, there's something kind of rotten and vain and weak in Isildur's cult, the core, because mm-hmm. that's that what I'm getting, because I'm definitely feeling it. Yeah, he's not fundamentally a good or honest person. And I'll make that argument further l- later on. OK. Uh, let's go over to Farazan uh, being berated for supporting the queen by by crowds, just throngs of people yelling at him. Uh, Yarian tells his son, Kemen, to go get him to change his mind, which doesn't seem like it's going to be easy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I figured this is what would happen, right? These Numenorians, especially the Builders Guild, would not uh, be OK with the choice he's made to back the queen's decision to go to Middle Earth. Uh, and I'm happy to see that that is playing out pretty much like you would expect yeah uh the the question i have though iarian um i guess i didn't think that she would get caught up in all this because she is related who she's related to but Mm -hmm. i suppose she is her own person as well and she's part of the builders guild Mm. which means she might have a lot of people in her ear um right Right, right. Yeah, these fucking immortal, hardworking, never stopping elves are going to come and build all our buildings and we'll be out of our guild. Yeah, I I did think it was a little bit of a hairpin turn on her character because I just assumed that they never established that. I mean, I guess she's always been skeptical of of the going west. But as we've mentioned, I think they've made a little bit of a mess at determining what the hell Isildur is trying to get to on the west. 
And it, I don't know why they're being so coy about it. You know, yeah, come well, out I think it's say, shame on me for assuming things about her. Really? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily think we've been given enough information to to know what side she would take on this. And I was assuming what side she would take on it. Yeah, no, I, but I think it's a fair assumption. It's like you know when you start watching Family Ties and you you know uh, oh they're his uh, you know Alex P Keaton's uh, family are his mom and dad are hippies and he's his arch conservative. It's like that's uh-huh. unusual. Like I think yeah. it's fair to say that usually kids kind of follow until they get to be their own people. They kind of they kind of follow the politics and the way they're they're raised. So like it's a fair assumption. It's mm-hmm. not like she was ever like fuck this elf lady or like recoiling from her. I, I, sure, I did. Sure. I was a little surprised at how I don't think they did a very good job of showing. Maybe it's just that she's like she doesn't feel any particular way about elves, but like why the hell are we mobilizing for war? Mm-hmm. Like that's and, and sudden and just be, response. Yeah. It's an extreme response for a crisis that we just found out about. That yeah. But they're they're making her more of kind of like um, I don't know maybe they are doing a good job of that. Um, I just thought it it, it confused me because I with you I'm with you I kind of assumed that she would be you yeah. know house elf friend you know right took me best prize um, and she tells you know Kevin to speak louder because his father doesn't listen to him which he's going to do with terrorism I guess um, yeah but we'll get there. Harbin Smith's a fancy blade. And then he's taken to the queen and questioned about where they're going to find the enemy. And he tells him. And then Galadriel lies about his willingness to join them on the journey. And he tells her he's not going. Rips his own sack off. Slaps it on the table. (laughs) Damn. Damn. He's committed. I'm so Um, glad they didn't just have Halbern go along with this. This would have been so against his character motivations. Yeah. when he when he doesn't object like he starts to object and then Gladriel shuts him down and then he doesn't like reobject I'm like oh no he's just yeah. he's just gonna betray everything he's been saying for the last four episodes and go along with this but no it takes a lot more than that they also answered a question that I didn't particularly have I didn't think it was that hard to deduce where Gladriel might go um, but like the fact that Halbrand had betrayed her for a guild badge I am kind of surprised that Halprid forges a first-rate sword. Like, this isn't, like, like something that they churn out an Orthanc for the orcs, like some kind of rough-hewn piece of wrought iron. Hmm. This is a, like, yeah, man, you can see a high elf lord wielding this blade or, you know, one of the high kings of Numenor. Yeah, there's, like, runes and all kinds of stuff. It's it's beautiful. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I guess that's what he did? It still needs a hilt. I think I know where he can find a hilt. That's not uh, being used at the moment. <laughs> oh, shit. Do you think that's going to tie in? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I doubt it. I don't think he takes this blade with him. I think this is just to show hmm. he is a very qualified blacksmith. I like Queen Muriel finding out that Galadriel has been writing checks that she can't quite cash and is expressing alarm that, you know, she's mm-hmm. said, I got the Southern King and he's going to like lead his people. And uh, Halbrand's like, I'm a what doing who now? Uh <laughs> Yeah, totally. yeah. Five five ships and five hundred men. That doesn't um, seem like much at all, really, for the battle. They are that Numenorians. Okay, like if okay. Numenorians are worth like probably five other men, and Gladriel seems to be worth fifty. So Fair. that's like sending you know what five thousand. Uh, and I or, bet Halbrand is going to be worth quite a few more too. Based Halbrand seems skills. like he's just a notch above being your your normal your not your, your normal southerner your su- oh, yeah. southerner. Sorry, 
I wish I wish they I you know what? They should have made the Southlanders speak an exaggerated drawl. Mm-hmm. Fuck fuck the King's English. They should have been talking like uh for they're from uh, Harlan County justified, sure. you know. Yeah. Nobody would take offense to that. Mm-mm. I wouldn't. All right, let's go back to the Harfoots. During the migration, they run into wolves and Meteor Man saves them. Wargs. What? Wait, they say wolves though, right? Well, they say wolves, but these are definitely wargs. These are like super wolves. Those are the... Oh, you're right. Twisted right. hyena looking things that the that the orcs ride in the movies. But it wasn't, uh, but it wasn't the same as the warg that we saw over on the orc side of things. Didn't look I that think so. Same. I think they're literally the same. Warg. I think I think they are. Really? I think you're supposed to understand they're the same, but uh, I don't oh. know. Maybe maybe they're maybe they're more werewolves. I don't know. Um, it's, anyway, we, we find out the woods are more bare than usual. There's some some dark influence, and absolutely fuck this lady who says, "Take their wheels and leave them." It's it, like I I'm a boy. I'm really having a hard time sympathizing with her. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that's she's it's not to conclusions. My God, yeah. she's jumping to conclusions and saying we should abandon this entire family and kill them. We should murder this family because I think yeah. there's something evil happening here. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, you know that that checks out with these. Uh, I feel like I feel like hobbits are kind of like reactionary uh, as as a whole. So it kind of makes sense the Harfoots mm-hmm. would be too. Yeah. And um, well, yeah, but no, sense to hate fuck that. her. <laughs> um, but yeah, they. Uh, I, I love the meteor man coming in like John Cena choke slamming this warg and then he does a, hits him with a, a a sonic boom essentially yeah um and the thing you're sort of supposed to understand is like this power uh seems to have affected him his hand is now like mm-hmm. blighted it somehow the one that he uses to strike out with all this power uh, also Nori's a badass man she was I think going to take that stick and try to hold off these warg uh, from the these the ladies trying to kill him and her best friend Poppy. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It reminded them standing this cops of trees reminded me of that, like the pilot episode of uh, Lost, where they're trying to get away from the polar bear inside that stand of trees. You know, I was like oh, wondering if they're sure. going to do some kind of last stand like that. But uh, Meteor Man yeah. comes in and sorts all their hashes. Blast those wolves. Uh, the lady's eating her words now, I bet. She's not so keen to literally. I mean, yeah, the next scene, they're like, everybody can't stop talking about how awesome you are. Meteor man. You're so cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So good to see a little come up and say, let's go over back over to Galadriel, who demonstrates how to fight orcs by fighting the trainees uh, and Valendil Valendil. That's the friend of Isildur. Dwayne Rock Johnson Jr. Yes. Dwayne the Rock Johnson Jr. Is made a lieutenant for scoring a point on her. Uh, I'm sorry you mispronounced that it's Lieutenant. Lieutenant. I'm never going to say it that way (laughs) I can't I can't bring myself to do it did he actually the way they describe it is if you score flesh I only saw him score dress Mm, I saw no blood come out of that cut or even seep into the dress she's wearing I don't think that was flesh I, I think she got maybe a scratch I think this is a fake lieutenant. This is uh, a fraudulent lieutenant. 
I did like this. I, I like how Gladra, because we've talked to like, I yeah, I don't know about her handing like six Numenorean warriors and full plate armor and the sword strapped, all that, their hats. But like her doing these raw recruits like this and she's yeah. it's like a, a joy yeah. on her face. She's genuinely enjoying her, uh, herself kicking these kids asses. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like Jackie Chan in the new Karate Kid movie. He's just like, yeah, fuck yeah, it's fun to fight 14 and 15 year olds. Just be bullied the shit out of them. Except these kids uh, are like six years older than the kids Jackie Chan. That's just true. That's true. And they have swords in their hands. It's still pretty um, good. I, I will also say I am super happy to see someone espousing my preferred strategy for both uh, killing orcs and anyone else that you might uh, not want to survive. Stab, twist and rip. That's mm-hmm. the standard. You stab, you rip, twist, rip and tear, and you rip. Yeah, yeah, that'll get the job done. Uh, I will be a lot, interested a lot of to see fighting with your fight. feet. I, I would use your hands, but you know, feet work too. But like the idea that, like you know, she is just kind of whirling dervish. She's just uh, yes. always moving, not able to be pinned down. Using the groups of enemies against. I thought it was a pretty well choreographed fight, to be honest. I did too. Perhaps the best choreographed fight yet. Might be. There was none of the like kind of crazy elf shit. And it's just like great. She was just, yeah, she was just in. She's a, a warrior woman uh, with a song on her heart kicking these kids asses. Mm-hmm. All right. Kemen tries to convince his father to convince the queen not to send ships to aid Middle Earth. He explains that there's more. Ferrazon explains to him that there's more to gain by going than not. Uh, and yes, I I don't know that I like Farazan. I still think he's an opportunist and he's conniving and kind of a shit and, and self-interested. You know, he's what I would describe as not good because he's not here to help. Uh, he's here to gain the wealth of Middle Earth for himself, essentially. Um, yeah, I, I do I, I, enjoy watching him do it. Yeah, I like this dude. I think he's cool. Although I did wonder if he was like genuinely good, you know, like, hey, I I fought the political fight and the queen wants to do this way. And now I'm full and I'm 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 legally on board with this. Uh, it turns out that he's just waiting for the tide to turn. And ultimately, yeah. he sees how this can help them. Like, oh, look at this map. Look at all the ore. Look at all the woods. And we're going to have a king that owes it all to us. Like mm-hmm. this is going to this. Just just wait, kid. This is going to be good for us um, to the extent that I'm actually not sure if his boy didn't do this act of terrorism just on his own steam. Oh, it's totally to impress a girl. Like literally he's committing acts of terrorism to impress a girl. Seriously? Because like, it's so you don't Arian, think there's, right? it's possible that Farazone's putting him up to it on the sly. Oh, oh, because like. Uh, but then again, he might to he might be time. So he's saying like, OK, I really want to do this, mm-hmm. but I also I, I don't want to do this. But I it, the political the tide's not right. And also we can have these wins if we we do this. And is, is his son providing the change? He's, he's forcing the tide to change, essentially, because after this, that's this is the pretext that Farazone uses to kind of like go back to the queen and like perhaps we've been too tasty with this. And we need to you know have another discussion and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I view that as a reaction to what had happened um, it it kind of shook him a little bit saying, okay, well, maybe we don't have enough support, but, but I'm surprised his I, son would go and try to blow this boat up after he just said, look how this would affect, like, if we do this and pull it off, look how well it will affect us. But if you're saying right. this guy did it just to impress an Arian, so. what's her name? Arian. Yeah. Arian. Cause his brother's a Nari. This is a nightmare. I know. Um, I know. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's wow. That's my read. 
He's so desperate to get laid that he's willing to commit acts of terrorism. And it probably wouldn't be the first time. I mean, I saw For All Mankind season three. Mm. I came pretty close, pretty close to that, too. And it was believable. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, That's my read. And he's very kind. At the end, he said, look, trust me, son. At the end of this, the elves will be taking orders from us. Um, Bold statement. We'll see how it plays out. I'm... I'm not a fan, really, of anybody taking orders from anybody, but yeah, that's just anarchy. Jim, 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 hardcore (laughs) anarchist. That's where that logically leaves, (laughs) leads. Sure. We got a lot of rings of power to ponder. We'll be right back after this short break. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeny. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R. R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, let's dig a little deeper on Doug Too Deep. Uh, all right, Muriel's father has a rare lucid moment, which he uses to tell her, to warn her not to go to Middle-earth, because all that awaits her there is darkness. And this is where I'm like, okay, she's now getting bad omens left and right, um, especially when mm-hmm. the ships are going to be blown up. She's going to have a real hard decision to make again. And she just never has to make that decision, I guess. Well, what does he mean? Because like, yeah, I'm kind of with her. Like, I thought he would want this. This is something that, you right. know, it's like, yeah, there's darkness there. That's why we're going, old man. You know, mm-hmm. not for the gumdrop trees and the lollipop guild. We're going to fight the darkness. Yeah, I wonder if this is like a father connecting with daughter and being worried for her safety and not the man who sees the future as reconnecting with the elves going 
this is the action you need to take. Like Numenor uh, can take an action, yeah. but the does the queen need to be directly personally involved? Mm. I wonder if that's what he's getting at. But it's hard to Could say, be. right? Because like he's just snapping out of whatever uh, fugue kind of state he's in here. That's the other thing is like, line, and then I don't know where where his mind's at. You know, I'm not sure if he's a senile or he's like portrayed as being staring into the Palantir a little too long. I noticed his name is also his his name is Al Palantir, too. Yeah, that was named after the seeing stone. But like, I I thought his brain was just gone from seeing all these crazy visions. Um, But then again, like, why would you take anything this guy has to say seriously? You know, Mm -hmm. like if he woke up and said, I want a tuna sandwich, you know, it's like, okay. And if he says, ah, the darkness, like I, you've been, you know, confined to your bed raving for God knows how many years. Yeah, but I get it. Yeah, I, it's it's I, definitely I, a poor. It definitely give you pause if you're a, a warrior queen and this is your this is your dad and and the first lucid moment he gets, he's like you're heading into darkness. Right, right, and then calls you by name, all this stuff. Yeah, I'm. I would take pause. All right, let's go over to meteor meteor man doing something weird. I a lot of this stuff I don't know how to describe because I don't know what's happening. He's doing something weird in a pool of water with freezing it and his arm and nori tries to interfere and gets blasted and she's kind of scared of him now it seems like whatever he did healed his hand though did you notice that i think so yeah um i wonder if there's any because like i like i wonder if because like yeah because like um you know gandalf said that he's a servant of the sacred fire um they're like the the this this uh, fire is closely associated with uh iru aluvatar or rugula as our lorehound mm-hmm. boys call him but like also like the servants of sauron are identified with fire too like sauron is a burning eye in the third age uh his chief mm-hmm. lieutenants are the balrogs and they're literally creatures of shadow and flame so i was trying to think it's like well is fire good and evil and ice is evil because that's like very uh game of thrones uh mm-hmm. the other franchise I don't know. I don't know. Cause like, you know, it's like, it looks like it's evil, but if it's just him healing himself, then, you know, Nori just got involved with shit and it didn't. And like, also I'm like, Jesus is Nori going to lose her hand, but yeah. her hand's fine too. So I think mm-hmm. it just scared Nori. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's there. This is the thing. This is one of the things they're doing best in the show. Like I literally gun the head. Couldn't tell you whether this guy's evil or not. Yeah. No, it's a really good mystery that they've kept going for episodes now. I'm looking forward to learning more about him. Yeah. Let's go over to the elves trying to toast to their union with the dwarves, but the king asks a prying question to which Durin responds with a question of his own about the table that they're sitting at. And all this results in the table being gifted to the dwarves. Uh, Maybe we can stop there for a moment. (laughs) How much did you enjoy this scene? It's great. Especially in retrospect when you find out. Yeah, no, doing. it's it's so funny. This Durin guy, because I thought he was kind of legit, and I'm like, uh-huh. oh, are they going to have some kind of thing where the elves have been secretly pillaging the dwarves? And, you know, the way Gilgalad kind of stiffened and said, oh, I'm sorry, we'll give it to you as a gift. And uh, it's really funny on second watch to see, and I just love this guy. I love his nose. I love his red hair. I love his bristly little mustache. I love his mm-hmm. giant beard. I love the twinkle in his eye when he's doing all this shit. And Gilgalad tries to figure out his mithril deal and then he he's not he's also not anyone's dummy you know he's kind mm-hmm. of been like the comic relief and a little buffoonish because you know especially in you know comparison to his wife who's kind of running him around 
But like here he's standing up against an, the the high king of the elves toe to toe. And he's like, oh, well, you want to know about our furnaces and all that. Let me ask you about why you're shipping all your warriors off and why you're expanding all your cities so fast. Like you guys don't do anything this fast. What's up? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's great. I thought it was a great scene. Good political gamesmanship here. Yeah. And great comedy uh, after the fact. So mm-hmm. really enjoyed that stuff. I One thing I noticed in that scene is when Durin talks about the table, he puts his hand down on it, like fingers spread. There's a close up of it and you can see he has gold on his fingers. Yeah. Am I, am I supposed to notice that? And what does it mean? I noticed that um, when Disa was all dialed, dolled up for her stone singing that she has this gold paint on her fingertips and her. I think it's like um, I just think it's a, a makeup affectation the elves have like he's okay. they're, they're kind of like glammed up a little bit kind of thing. Yeah, he's going there to meet with the king and he's got his beard combed out and he's got his uh, fingernails painted uh, uh, burnished gold. Yeah, wants to look good. All right. Uh, nice little detail, though. I like that. And also, I wonder if you're also to understand that they, they work so much of the precious metals that it's kind of like yeah. there's like an accountant's fingers are stained with ink. They just <laughs> have be. like gold. I just, just you're imbued with gold. They just spend so much time working this precious metal. It but I like it. That, I did, it, it, it adds a hazard. It makes it gives a little. I don't know. It gives a little bit of regality. Like, what does a king of the dwarves look like? He looks like a dwarf, like a regular dwarf with little gold on him. You know? Sure. Do the do the lesser dwarves the 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 ones who have less stature in their society have like limestone on their fingers? What? <laughs> it's just like yeah. Depending yeah. on what you have on your fingers, that's how. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, see what Revered that's the that's where the expression what dirt you got on your fingernails, you know, if it's right. limestone, you're right. poor, if it's gold, you're rich, if it's like silver, kind of in between, and if you're like mithril, you're rich rich. Oh yeah. Oh, you're yeah. rich rich. Oh, you got mithril on your fingernail? Oh, okay. You got that mithril money? Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Trust trust fund dwarf over here. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the second part of this scene, which is after um, all of that, the truth comes out about why the king sent Elrond to Kazakh Doom. Uh, and it turns out it's to find out if they had the ore that could help restore the elven light, which is currently fading. And Elrond refuses to reveal whether the dwarves have found Mithril. Uh, I, here's where I start to have a hard time with this stuff. So I like I like all of the intrigue and, you know, uh, the, the king here trying to figure out if you know, a, a like revealing, yes, I sent you there for this reason. And B, uh, it's important. It's very important, right? And this idea of like, are you going to betray your oath or, or keep your oath in the face of this dying hope and the fact that it might kill all of your people and not just your people, but all peoples, as he says. Um, and it's a it's a big decision moment for Elrond. I think some of the problems just come with the logistics of this and the the execution of it because I find it really hard to believe that a king who is very adept with politics and with lies could not say could, could not just believe that because Elrond won't reveal won't answer the question they must have found Mithril right there would be no oath to keep if they had not found Mithril well, he it could be something no. other. Super- they didn't find anything. What are you talking about? Well, it I could be that know. there is the dwarfs are doing something, but it doesn't involve Mithril, right? They've got some other kind of super secret power project that. 
okay. you know, but it's not mithril. I, I, cause like the first I time I watched that too. And then I, to be fair, uh, Jack came out and watched the episode with me on a second time. And he said the exact same thing. He's like, well, duh, if, if you know, the way this is, is like obvious. And I had to think about yeah. it. And I'm like, the only way is like, it's like, uh, you know, if you say, you know, is the U S government working on a top secret new nuclear bomb? And you're like, hey, I took an oath that I wouldn't reveal the United States secrets. And actually, we're working on a hypersonic underwater torpedo. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think you could work like that. The, the thing I think people fixate on is because all we know, we know the dwarves are working yes. on mithril. Yeah. He's asking about the mithril. So in our heads, it works that way. But like, you know, you're the dwarves right. are this. Yeah. So it's like I, I think we're kind of like target fixated a bit. But. You know, to the, to the extent that like two different audience members had the same kind of misconception, maybe <laughs> they could have done a little bit. They could have played this a little bit, but also like elves, I don't think are especially good at. You know, like I don't think Elrond, he's more of a Ned. You know, all these guys are more like a Ned Stark types. Like they have a very hard time dwelling in the shades of gray. Is my interpretation of it. Gotcha. No, that makes a certain amount of sense. It's not the only problem I had with this, um, so I'm glad you could clear that up. But I will get to another bigger problem in my opinion um but I, I like this right what if keeping a promise ensured your doom and what if it ensured the doom of not just you but all, everyone right uh, like how committed to your principles are you would duran even want you to keep that secret and like, kind of if, we if, find we kind of find out the answer that by the end of the yeah. episode at least from duran jr's perspective he's inclined to give up this massive amount of power and value just to save his friend and uh-huh. the race he hails from which i thought was speaks well of him yeah it's amazing what a lifeline for the elves that elrond is here right right without his relationship with duran i don't think they get this done uh, but no, I, I but like, yeah, like I, I think they're coded as kind of like just kind of haughty and and shitty. And there's a couple of them like mm-hmm. uh, uh, Gladrail and uh, Legolas and those that's like ha- like get grudging respect be- um, because of their life experiences and blah, blah, blah. But like all in all, like I've never thought that they were very appealing. You know, they're like the Jedi from the prequels, you know. It's like, yeah. I kind of want to like yeah. you. You're supposed to be cool and you're d- fighting on the side of good, but you're kind of just assholes. So up your own ass. I can't, I can't go along with anything you say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, what'd you think about the, the song of the roots of what, uh, whatever, what <laughs> this is the legend uh, of how Mithril got started in the middle earth. I like it. Yeah. I think it's cool. Um, it's, it's got a very like, old gods feel to it to me it's it's you know stuff from our our other mythologies i know that's has a mythology of his own so and and plus it's got that like hardcore rock uh heavy metal album cover aesthetic that i've really been missing Mm -hmm. from the first episode or two yeah like it's it's we've we've shifted the dragon not so much here uh yeah, yeah this was much much more like uh a mega death cover yeah I thought that was so fucking cool where like you got the elf imbuing the tree with power and holding up a shield as the Balrog's coming down with the whip and then the lightning and it just like <laughs> it just turns the tree and is this white flame that shoots deep down into the mountains. I, it's yeah, it's I, super cool. Every time I see more Lord of the Rings um, or Tolkien fiction, I think, yeah, I, I get why Led Zeppelin was singing about this. Yeah, um, I get why Elrond, heavy metal guys could be into this shit, right? 
Oh, a hundred percent. Um, I really like this speech between Elrond and Gilgalad where, you know, again, I, I don't know if I like Gilgalad very much, but I think this thought he had on hope was a real, uh, was really insightful because Elrond's like, you know, I take my vow seriously. I'm not going to throw it away on mere hope. And Gilgalad says, hope is never mere, even when it's meager. When all their senses sleep, hope is the last eye open and the last one to shut. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah. And I think these actors are killing it. The The less they, they do, the more I feel it. Um, yep. They're letting their ears speak for themselves in the case of <laughs> yeah. Eeyore here, uh, uh, <laughs> Elrond. But I, uh, yeah, and I, the only thing is, like, I think that the it seems like the elves sin as ever is pride. Because what Gilgalad says is like, you know, if the elves are forced to abandon Middle Earth, the place is going to go to shit. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're like, but... I think it has more to do with the elves' fear of decline. And remember the reason, like, from what I understand from the lore and from listening to the lore hounds is most of the elves are here on Middle-earth, not because it's a better place to be, but because they kind of wanted to run shit, and they couldn't run shit over in Valinor. Hmm. Like, even the mighty gotcha. of them are second bananas through the demigods walking around, so they can't... They, 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 I just, they're like, I just want a place of my own to run. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's ambition and power that's keeping them here, and it's it's the pretext they're using to steal the wealth of... Well, I'm not going to say steal, they might give it to them, but, like, to extract the wealth from the uh, the dwarves and use it for their own power, because, like, oh, man, if, if uh, what is Middle-earth even if not for elves? And yeah. I think that's... Uh, kind of antithetical to Tolkien's message which is not to say that it's this is a this is heresy I'm saying that like the elves themselves are once again you know falling short of the mark of you know being godly gotcha all right let's go back over to Valendil and Antamo join in a night of revelry with those who are going on the expedition then age old sailing tradition the night before you ship out get pissed drunk and chase skirts Mm-hmm. and or trousers if you're in that inclination then Isildur shows up and of course he wants to ask a favor here although despite getting two free punches in on him Valendil <laughs> still refuses to use his position to help him get a spot on the expedi- expedition <laughs> I love the line that felt like three it looked mm-hmm. like three man that dude was, yeah great job Dwayne DeRock Jr. is uh, bringing the thunder on those. Like, I felt that that head and gut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that. Like when he's up. like, I'll give you a free shot. And then when the guy starts like, he, I think in the back of his mind, he's like, oh, this will just show that I'm sincere. But he won't take it up. Take me up on it because he's my friend. And this dude's like, bet. He comes over with a head of steam. He's like, wait, wait, wait. And then, and then the guy's negotiates. He's like three. He's like, no, two. And then, he, yeah, it's mm-hmm. this, this. This was this was pretty funny. So it's good. Um, I like his friends better than I like him. Is I do end. too. I don't know if that's an unfortunate part or an intentional part, but that's what I'm saying. They might be playing around with the idea that Isildur is a little entitled shit, and maybe he can make good later on. But like fundamentally, at his core, he is a little bit more about himself than his people, and a little bit too yeah. vainglorious. And I, I even I thought it was fair too, because like his friends punches him and be like, "Okay, this squares us for you fucking us over." Mm-hmm. But I am not putting my name behind you because like I've, and, you know, they've really sold yeah. that well that like I can't recommend you for a duty that you might well abandon. Yeah. And Isildur says, I'm not going to do it this time. Well, yeah, go, go beg go your father it. for the job. Yeah. Yeah. Go prove it. Go live it for a while and then we'll talk. I, I think, yeah, that, that made me like this guy even more. I did. Um, I, I thought I, that was super cool. I find it also hilarious that Isildur's horse is going on the voyage, but he's not. Yeah. 
Yeah, because Barrick wants to get away from you, you dick. <laughs> right? He's not going west with you. Forget it. I think it's Barrick. I might. I just that's from memory. I'm because I I remember wondering who the hell Barrick was and finding out it's a horse. But yeah, you're it could right. be Derek or I oh, is that's Cecil Dor's horse. I don't know. I yeah, that's just my assumption. Um. Anyway, Kemen sneaks on to one of the expedition boats to set it on fire. But while he's on board, he finds Isildur sto- stowing away. Um, Isildur tries to stop him, but the ship blows up anyway, and Isildur has to pull Kemen out of the bay, saving his life. And then they lie about what happened to Elendil, but Isildur gets credit for saving Kemen's life, which I think, <laughs> which to me indirectly leads to him getting accepted on the expedition. It seems like what's his name? His name's Kenan. Is that as the Pharisees? K E M E N. Kimmen. Honestly, it feels like Isildur and him are two peas in a pod. Yeah. Because they both won't let well alone. They both won't listen to their father's long term advice, and they're both pressing ahead and doing whatever the fuck they want. You know, for dubious reasons. Um, yeah. Personality wise, sure. Ideologically, probably not aligned. And like, I, I, I just wonder, like, what. Why? Why is this happening? Why? Why did he? Because I thought his his father said this is good for us. It's going to be okay. You know, we'll wait mm-hmm. to see the tides turn. And now this guy seems like he's forcing the tides. You still think it's because the he's he's he wants to impress Isildur's sister? To, sure, to steal a line from House of the Dragon, he's cunt struck by Arian. <laughs> <laughs> Quoting the poet, uh, the uh, uh, Knight of Kisses, yeah, yeah. Joffrey. Uh, very I good. I think that's what it is, but I could. He's be wrong. been. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I really love uh, the the moment where they're both trying to escape the boat that's going to explode, and the dude with no experience on a boat gets hit with the swinging hook. Yeah, it's a I very mean, it's a Doctor Matron moment from Master yeah. and Commander, like Isildur's Isildur Jodge out of the way. Yeah, he sees that tackle swinging towards him and uh, Kimmon takes a full in the face. And the other thing, I really liked um, the the look of pure resentment that Kimmon has that he has been saved by Isildur and uh, Isildur knows his crime. And you think that like that might develop uh, in future, you know, in future episodes and seasons into some real kind of rivalry, because that's the other thing we don't have. We don't really have a real like rivalry. There's no personal animosity in any of the relationships that we've seen so far, except for maybe Adar. He's got <laughs> he's got an axe to grind, but we don't know exactly why or with who. Nobody else has that. Yeah. Yeah. Um Durin had like a who are Farazone's political rivals. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like long term stuff. Uh, yeah. I'm curious I, I don't know how much they'll interact in the future, you know. Uh Isdor's going off to Middle Earth and I think Kemen's staying behind. So Right. He might come he might come back and just find you know his sister all shacked up with Kamen and just be like nah this can't happen sure this guy's a shit mm-hmm. I don't know we'll see uh, they get two ships for the price of one here Kamen does he, he mm-hmm. blows up one and I guess it sends shrapnel burning shrapnel over to another which blows that up and yeah pretty effective yeah uh, old ships are made of nothing but wood and dry and, and tar <laughs> <laughs> wood right. uh, wood cordage and tar they're famously flammable it's not not a good situation and they're to- they're they're uh towing towing is not the word uh in their holds are a bunch of uh 
flammable liquids. Yeah, turpentine and gasoline. Powders. What the shit? Yeah. I was expecting gunpowder, but like, I'm, I was really wondering, like, what the hell? Are, are they going to be, like, shooting Greek fire when they finally go into battle, I wonder? Oh, I because, thought that yeah, was, like, like, rum or or some flammable alcohol for uh, them to drink. It looked a lot more viscous than that, yeah. like a lamp oil or something. You're right. It's, uh, Maybe it was lamp middle, oil. Middle, uh, Numenorean napalm. Uh, sure. Napalnorium. <laughs> So this boat explosion happens and Farazan obviously gets word of it. And so he goes to the queen and suggests that they delay the voyage until they can convince more people it's right. And Gladriel still wants to go, of course. And the queen dismisses everyone until the morning so she can... I thought so she could think it over, um, but apparently it's just to get Halbrand's input. She wa- Yeah, she wants to make sure... Factor. Because she's she's become aware that he might be shaky on this whole thing. And now that the tides, as Farazone says, might be turning, she wants to make damn sure that her butter, her bread is buttered on the right side. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just really shocked. We don't get a scene of her like contemplating what her father said and and the people not being with her and, you know, her own advisors saying maybe now is not the right time. I I expected some kind of it'd be nice even to see like a moment. protest outside the palace you know like there's like a people gathered the night being like oh I say, you know and like uh yeah it would have been it'd be nice the choice but they don't even show it she just makes a choice off screen and boom they're off in triumphant yeah. music mode i i don't know again they're limited eight episodes they have to they have to move quick fair each one has been getting longer than the last have you seen that i noticed this that too like this was like 70 total. yeah 73 minutes uh all right, let's go over to back to Elrond. He has apparently let Celebrimbor in on the Mithril secret so that he can analyze it. Seems like the stuff's legit. And Celebrimbor stresses how important it is to the salvation of the elves. Here is where I have huge problems with this plot line. They <laughs> so so he gets this Mithril back from Celebrimbor, who says, "Yeah, it's, it's the real deal," and he says. So now our people are doomed unless I break an oath and betray a friend. Wait, how has he not already broken his oath by showing the mithril to Celebrimbor? Is an oath not broken until the person you pledged it to finds out that you've broken it? Because that's not how I understand oaths to work. Maybe Tolkien has different ideas. The only thing I think of is he he did the classic, uh, hey, if I tell you something, Celebrimbor, you got to promise you'll never tell anybody else. Sure. That's the only because 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 you're how right. Work. <laughs> yeah. No, I was I I actually kind of gasped the first time I saw that uh, Celebrimbor had the piece of that mithril on him and was was testing it. So well, and the, the fact that they need say, oh, no, vast... my oath. But yeah. he says now I have a decision whether I have to break my oath and betray a friend. That's no, you've made that decision already. The episode yeah. just seems to not acknowledge that the oath is already broken. Maybe he was on the table. He thought on the table is like just stealing it or taking it by force. And he's going to ask. Um, no, I, I that, you're right. That is a little sloppy. Writing. This is walking dead level bad writing. Uh, Ooh, I don't this know about is stuff, that. Yeah, this is stuff that I would rip into the walking dead for in no uncertain terms. And okay. I have to do the same here because he has already broken his oath. The episode is just not acknowledging that. They've shown yeah. us one thing. They've told us another. The two things don't line up. This is Walking Dead level writing. It's bad. All right. Well, if they do it for nine, 11 more seasons, we'll, we'll fair, see. Fair. But, uh, like, yes, I, I can forgive it once. It won't cause me to not watch the show next week. But 
I, I will say that there's an, here. Okay, why we're bitching? I don't know about every fucking week having to hear about uh, Elrond's awesome father and how he's just like him and how he's in the exact same position he is and he's in a singular position to help and like, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. But on the other hand. <laughs> sure. Elrond's dad was a badass. He is like the George Washington of the elves, I guess, and kind of men, too, because uh, he's also the great granddaddy of all the, the awesome Numenorians. So it's not that unthinkable and forgivable, but it just I don't there's something about the way they both have this kind of smug, nostalgic look on their face and the music gets a little syrupy and, you know, it's like, oh, Elrond, my boy. And I don't know that that's uh, that's. I feel like I'm just bitching the bitch. Okay. <laughs> well, I got plenty of that. You don't need to force it. There's a lot more rings of power to ponder. We'll be back right after this short break. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-round movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members, with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is rewarding to itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. Mission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. And now, let's dig a little deeper on Doug Too Deep. Um, 
Why is it? Why are they convinced that the Mithril's their only salvation? I guess because it does have the last light of the Cimmerils. I'm curious to see what John makes of that. Uh, the fact that this lost Cimmeril and the fact that there's still some of its power left, but they need vast quantities of it. Um, why? Do, like, do how, I know from this show what a Cimmeril is, or should I know uh, what a Cimmeril is? I from thought they this explained show? that these were crystals that captured the last light of the trees. Okay. They're the these 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 are that that one it's that tough uh, because so because much talked lore. about how he was jealous that uh, Fionor is that the guy that made him uh, made something so beautiful that even made Morgoth kind of like think about repenting his ways and he wants to do something with that much impact and okay but yeah I don't know because I know it's I read the Cimmerillion still right and I've heard my friends talk about it all the time so I don't know if. Yeah, but but it it's my understanding these were sure. I think three crystals wrought to capture the light of the, the trees, and once the trees died, it was, it was like the, the most precious thing. Yeah, like the elves are kind of like addicted. They're not addicted, but like psychologically dependent on this light, and that's like you know they 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 were they were so cut. So then when Morgoth stole it, that's what you know made them disobey the gods and go to Middle Earth and wage the war and. Gotcha. brought ultimately so much dishonor and sorrow to the elves but uh hmm. yeah all right um but i it's my understanding that they weren't lost and that they certainly didn't get reabsorbed into some kind of tree but i that, i feel like it's enough lore adjacent that i didn't have a real problem with it gotcha no, it's probably explained. I, I, but I do not know like what they mean. Like, why do they need a vast quantity? Like, can you give each elf a Cimmerillion, like like a, a mithril ring? Do they need to have like a full mithril suit of armor? Do they just need to have like a mithril pocket watch that they carry in their pocket? Like, what? Can you grind it down and snort it? I I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I almost made a joke about Celebrimbor, you know, like like snorting a bit of the mithril and be like, this is tight, tight, tight. You know, it's like, did, yeah, did you have a chance to test it? Oh, it's 99.1% pure, my boy. Uh, give me 50 kilograms yeah. of this next week and we'll talk. Um, but yeah, like how much do you need to saturate every elf in the light of the Valinor once more? Yeah. Um, and, and man, that's a big ass from the dwarves. Jesus, they had their own plans for it, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, let's go over to Galadriel trying once again to convince Halbrand to fight with her and thereby find peace through his own redemption. We're not sure if it worked in this scene, but it's a hell of a speech. I like this stuff quite a bit. Um, Big mystery. Well, we, we've I've known this about Halbrand, but like, yeah, what the hell was he doing on the boat? He was kind of a shifty guy. He left all those people to die. Yeah, and he admits here that the things he's done would not be easily forgiven by... Yeah, worse than leaving all your floating companions to a certain death. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought it was funny that to me it looked like Halbrand is sweeping up the intro sequence. (laughs) (laughs) Like right after the the Rings of Power show, it's like then the broom comes and sweep because like it's sweeping up this kind of gold dust from the from the shop floor. I just couldn't Uh, get over how bad those medieval fantasy brooms are. mm, The, The bristles are so far apart. I feel like you're not. Just, yeah, Numenorians can make a fine sword, uh, awesome saddle, peerless mm-hmm. ships, but their brooms lag way beyond elf technology. Oh my god! Yeah, elves have those push brooms. Oh yeah, Celebrimbor yeah. can make you a broom that would sweep the finest floor. Just one sweep. You don't even have to go back sweep and do away another all one. The- mithril dust he's been snorting don't even need a dustpan they just like the the, the brooms mm-hmm. just hold the dust in them you know yeah sounds like some harry potter stuff 
That's the elves. Sounds like some Harry Potter stuff. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's questions about what Halbrand did. Uh, I wonder if it was like active or passive. Was it more like, oh, he led the people to sort of bend the knee to whatever uh, evil force came before Adar and after Sauron here or during Sauron's yeah. reign? I don't know. Maybe that's um, a good point. You wonder about like, you know, how active because like I, I've noticed something in a lot of fiction, probably real life, too, that like selfish people tend to minimize their contributions to their own woes where like selfless people tend to like maximize like you know uh, mm, yeah. uh, or I guess good and evil like a good person will like um, take something hard 10 times worse or make it seem like 10 whereas an evil person will just like oh that wasn't that bad and you know uh, so like I, yeah. I yeah like what did he do and is it like really terrible or does he only just feel like yeah I, yeah what what did he do yeah and I I'm when Galadriel denies that revenge or vengeance for her brother is why she's doing all of this, I think I agree with that. It's borderline here. It's close because she took up his quest. And I think like that's her real motivation. But mm. it gets blurry around the edges when your brother is killed in battle um, and you take up his quest. How much of this is for the quest's sake and how much of this is for vengeance? I wonder if well, yeah, she denies it's vengeance, but like I can't stop it until I've killed all the evil, and that's the only way I'll get peace. Like, okay, so vengeance then? No, 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 no. no, no. You don't understand. That was his initial quest, so Mm -hmm. it could just be like taking up his quest, right? Because it's the right thing to do, eliminating all traces of Sauron. Yeah, it's oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, the quest. I think like his quest for vengeance for his death is slightly different, but not much. And it, it gets blurry, and I think maybe the episodes will play with that a little bit as we gotcha. move on. Um, and, and she hands this... him a sack back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I like how, you know, her the words of her uh, brother, F- Finrod, I think is his name, uh, come mm-hmm. back here sometimes to find the light. Must first No, it's Linden. It's Linden, yeah. Oh, right, of course. I got that wrong. <laughs> uh <laughs> Because Halbrand here had to do some bad things to realize how bad the things he was doing were and actually change his heart, which I think is yeah. currently happening. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. I like it thematically. Um, also, I, I think there's some some evidence here that it was true that Elrond and the king conspired to sideline her by sending her to, to Valinor. It wasn't just necessarily like she deserves this. It was more like, oh, yeah, need to get her I, out I thought, of here because they, they kind of cleared that up a few episodes I, ago. I thought Gilgalad kind of like said that's as, as much as true. Yeah. That like, hey, you know, she's actually about bringing about. And then now we know what he is talking about. The yes. fact that uh, this tree is, rotting. you know, this this tree is rotting conven- conveniently from the back to the front so that no one in the courtyard can actually see it. <laughs> uh-huh. Um yeah, I wish I only aged on my backside. That'd be nice. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you should see my ass. I got the ass of a 90-year-old, but my face, it's uh, looks 30 <laughs> at be- at worst. Uh, 
but but they, they, yeah so like you can see i, I understand that like this desk like this is a you know holy tree that the elves have it's like with the descendants of these great trees these trees of light that they love so much and it's sickening and dying oh my god mm-hmm. um i don't I, I i don't know and it's this is probably part of uh, tolkien soft magic system they might not explain it but i don't know why the elves know that they're connected like why do they think if the tree dies that they're going to die are they gotcha. like literally connected are they all kind of like getting a little sick? Doesn't seem like it, but they're like, we got to get this yeah. finished by next spring, which also is why mm-hmm. Celebrimbor needs to get this thing done. Yes. We now know like why it's got such a, uh, you know, the foot on the gas on this project. Yeah, no, I mean, all that seems crazy to me. Maybe we can talk about it when we get to the next, uh, through the next couple scenes here, but First, let's go over to Baldrig pledging himself to Adar, who he thinks is Sauron. uh, And Adar tests him by having him kill Rowan, which is Theo's friend. Uh, Another WWE style chokeslam when he gets the Sauron part wrong. So this is a fascinating thing. Mm -hmm. This guy is using the servants of Sauron, but he hates Sauron. It's almost Hmm. like a Saruman type deal where hates Sauron. Yeah. Does he? Although Saruman was totally in league with Sauron by the time he starts making orcs and shit. But like that right. is a big plot thickens moment for me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm curious how it's going to play out. As it goes back to, I think, a strengths in the theory that John and David had about this Adar figure being one of those uh, um, elves that were kidnapped and maybe tortured by uh, Sauron and or Morgoth. Um and then were released, but the elves, because they would had this taint on them, they couldn't trust them. So mm-hmm. they were kind of driven out of pl- uh, out of elf society. So he kind of hates everybody. He's just on his yeah. own side. Yeah, I really like that theory a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah, 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 me too. It's feeling more and more likely as we see more. Uh, when we go, um, we go back over to Theo here, he questions why Erendir is staying to fight with him. And then... Erendir gives a speech so rousing that Theo decides to show him the hilt he found. And apparently it's key to some kind of evil. And when Bronwyn finds this out, she completely changes her tune. She wants to go pledge her life to Adar. She says, everyone should come with me. We're doomed. Then the orcs start marching toward the tower. What the fuck happened to Bronwyn, man? I think you're supposed to understand this this blade is... is, uh, But I I didn't Erendir... Uh, pretty much spell out that this sword is something that binds particularly your people's heart to it. Like, so Waldron might not even be a bad guy. It's like he happened to dig up this thing in the field and it like just corrupts him on sight. So t- take it and run with it and and bury it somewhere else. You don't have to go pledge your life to Adar. And and when you do, what happens to the hilt? You're just gonna give it to him? You're gonna bring well, about the that's evil the thing, that like, you're so worried about corrupting you? That's the thing. It's like her speech was half-assed because she's just half-hearted. So she was already halfway to bowing towards the enemy <laughs> okay. anyway. So this just took. The, um, so yeah. like, so I, I mentioned that I thought it was wild that Ostirith uh, looked ruined after the elves had just abandoned it like a few weeks ago. Like, man, this thing went to shit fast. I think there's mm-hmm. you're, you're supposed to imply that this is like the inverse of like um, a Minas Morgul, 
where that famously was this one is towers of the uh, kingdom of Gondor that the witch king took over and then turned evil that this is the opposite. Like this is like a fortress of Morgoth that the elves had then turned into a, a, their own outpost because mm-hmm. why else would I have a shrine to evil uh, right, that's whispering right. dark voices whenever you rip the vines off of <laughs> yeah, it? Who was the elf um, that made that? The elf architect that made that decision. Of it course, looked like there's a dark lord dark. stabbing the sword either into a ground or something. Do you? Did you think that dark lord looked a little Sauron-ish in his shape? Um... I'm not sure. I just saw that a person was being stabbed, though, is the thing. Oh, really? Being plunged into what I think is a person. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't see the Dark Lord. I only saw the person being stabbed. Gotcha. No, I thought there was definitely some of that. Somebody plunging it in. But uh, okay. Now, this is like, again, I'm as far as I know, we're pretty far off the map in in genuine Tolkien lore. So I'm curious to see where they're going with this. So I, I have to comment on Aaron Deer's um, speech to okay. Theo. I think this is the most successful speech the show has done yet hmm. because without saying it, he's saying you are the people worth fighting for. And I, and I think like, and you specifically, Theo, because you are good, are the one <laughs> who's worth fighting now for. That I just <laughs> love how gracefully they say that. And now that half of the, sh- the, the the half of you that are shitters have left, doubly uh-huh. so. You guys, what's left is <laughs> exactly. the cream of the crop. Because yeah. you stayed, I will fight with you. That's fine. I'm like churn your asses in the butter and make something out of you. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And that's like it's a. I, I like that. Like, you're right. It's like you know he's trying to uh, puff this kid up. It's like oh wow, you're as brave at 14 as I was at 200. Um, and you know, like, yes, I've been counting every whisper and sharp kitchen knife, but that means I know the voices and hands behind them all the better. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I well, know half of us people. left, half of you stayed. Yeah. Like, it, I, yeah, I know you're good and you're worth fighting for. That's yeah. That's a great speech. Yeah. It's, it's got shades of like Aaron or Aragorn's. This is a good, this is a good blade, you know, where he told that teenage kid that was shitting his pants about the battle of Helm's deep that, you know, he's just given mm, giving him a little I bit don't. of tips and a little bit of archer. Oh, there's a scene where, you know, Aragorn, just after he's kind of given to despair, uh, he sees his kid with this like rusty blade and he grabs it and he gives it a couple Aragorn swings and stuff. He's like, yeah, this is a pretty good sword and hmm. it's going to take care of you. Um, this is gotcha. a better ver- I think like a, a more personal version of that. But I think the kid soaked it up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's giving him confidence, inspiring him. All right, let's go to Elrond apologizing to Durin for accidentally being sent to spy on the dwarves. And he explains that the fate of the entire race of elves is in Durin's hands, which pleases Durin very much. But they still have to convince Daddy Durin to help the elves. And in the background, we see the king watching all this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've already talked about most of this. The The table's funny. Uh, like I said, I love this guy. Oh, and though, like when he jumps up and he jumps up on a rock so he can look uh, Elrond right in the eye, and he's like, "All right, no more quail sauce. Give me the meat and give it to me raw." I'm like, "Oh, that's <laughs> what she said." Oh my uh, god, walked right into that one, Durin. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, I love this scene, but I, I'm trying to figure out, like, boy, boy, these elves are going to dwindle fast without that light. They're gone, huh? Are Guess what? Yeah, they got their, nothing their, by spring. They're gonna go bad by spring. 
they got uh, the same shelf life as Frosty to Snowman. <laughs> or maybe they'll start <laughs> they're gonna, dwindling. They're going to melt away. Spring. Also, how does abandoning the shores stop that? Because he, he spells out another option. We could abandon the shores or we can dwindle into nothing without this light. So if they go west to the undying lands as it is, uh, you know, as you can guess from the name Undying Lands. And then again, it's not that you live forever here. It's just that elves who do live forever anyway won't decline. Like any decay or sickness you have will be cured. And so the elves could live in bliss and immortality until the ending of the whole earth uh, over the Undying Lands. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's kind of. do that? Again, I, I, this is, this is the thing hard for me to square with Tolkien's ethos is because most of the elves that are over here are doing it for what seems like vainglorious reasons. Okay. Like, right. Just uh, you know, the whole, like, it's better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. Like, that's sure. literally, I think, Galadriel's whole deal. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. That's not a great reason, especially like, are you going to no. beggar an entire king? But like, but the thing is that the elves also have this thing is like, well, if we abandon Middle Earth, it's going to go to shit too. Like, what sure. happens? So we're helping, them, you know. Right. But like, I don't know that that's literally true because mm-hmm. like, I and who knows what Eru's plan? Like, it seems like his plan was for men to eventually the dominion of men to eventually take over because that's what happens. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think I, I'm very fascinated to know. And, and I'm I'm open to like deep down elves kind of being dicks and having dickish <laughs> reasons to do things. I don't I don't mind that. But yeah, I've got questions. more purists might might be might be angry at that. I definitely have questions about the gods and their motivations and why they allow evil things like that to happen um, that I'm going to be discussing oh, wow. with John over Man. on the Lorehounds Good. a little bit. Uh, uh, that's, I'm sure I'm sure he's got those 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 questions. You know the uh, the the problem e- evil the yeah, the paradox ex- of evil. He seemed to be excited about talking what uh, Tolkien's opinion on that stuff was and, gotcha. and his ethos for that, but. Yeah, let's um, go over to Halbrand, uh, summoned to the Queen's Queen Regent's Council. He chooses to back Galadriel's play, and I guess that's a decision made because everybody then boards the boats to great fanfare with hero shots for everyone, hero shots for everything and everywhere. Isildur has made the stable boy. Um I, I was so caught up in, wait, wait, I thought the Queen had a decision to make that I, I kind of lost track of this scene the first time I watched it. And then the second time I'm like, I'm just, I'm just not a romantic. I'm just not a romantic. And mm. I know this about myself for a long time because these grand epic moments do almost nothing for me. Like characters boarding a boat with incredible music playing and huge visuals going off on an epic quest does almost nothing for me. Whereas Damn. A, a single line, a single look, but shared between two people can move me nearly to tears. And it, it I appreciate what those about, small gestures way better than grand sweeping emotion. Let me ask you this. Return of the King, Theoden riding, you know, giving his speech about, you know, ride with me, ride now, the red death. And he goes and slaps everybody's spear. This way. You don't, you don't, nothing, it's, nothing. It's strong. I mean, there are definitely okay. occasions. Yeah. Where I'm, I'm can get into this kind of stuff, but this one, it this didn't feel, this one didn't feel earned because like, I like, again, I want to see what this, this speech was because, all of Numenor's on board. Like there's not even a packet of resistance right. to be seen, uh, which kind of surprised me. I also was surprised at how Rohirrim Ro- like riders of Rohan, all this armor looked. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it looks 
cool. I, I didn't know that they're I like, and maybe not. Maybe they're this is just like something that they're doing visually to kind of like tie into the old series again. But like it's also possible that the Rohirrim are kind of some kind of archaic cadet branch of the Gondorians um, that kind of broke off in antiquity or something. I, uh, I, I, I don't know because it was shocking how much their, especially all their armor and the horse and the fact that they have like, you know, there are these horse people. Um, I thought I, cause, cause you look at, um, I thought it was going to look a lot more Gondorian, you know, like mm-hmm. when you see the uh, Gondorian, especially the honor guard that you see guarding like Denethor, and they have these big kind of like, you know, the blue cloaks and the big silver helmets with the the wings on them. The, what what yeah. Isildur, or I'm sorry, Ilendil's wearing. Mm-hmm. I expect it to look like that, but they're wearing a bunch of Rohirrim, those like, conical caps with the horse tails coming out the top and the scale kind of like leaf looking armor. Like that looked very mm-hmm. Riders of Rohan. And Halbrin with the copper leather version looked like he could literally be Theoden's great, 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 great grandsire. So ask, yeah, for for me, ask John about like what the connection are between Numenorians and Rohirrim because I'm I'm getting some some visual connections there either uh, anyway. Gotcha. And uh, Isildur looks like a dork in this armor. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I couldn't tell if his sister was sad because he's there or sad because he looks like a dork. <laughs> I think she's. Oh, Isildur! Yeah. Oh, no! Sad you he's look leaving. how cool. Look how cool our dad looks. And you, you just you look like you're wearing an upset armor three times your size, you know? Yeah. Like he found dad's armor and put mm-hmm. it on. Uh, I, I think she's sad because A, he's leaving to go on it to a dangerous voyage, but also B, she's not ideologically aligned with this. So she's like, what a betrayal, a family member going off on this. All Damn of her family, full idealistic crusade. Anarians out west, wherever the hell that mm-hmm. is, and and her brother and her dad are going off in the battle, and she's here left to build buildings and be seduced by a terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I have another question. Mm-hmm. Where the fuck did Galadriel get her armor? Did they just smith that for her in the night? Yeah, Halbrand. Halbrand made her. Uh, exact replica armor. of her elven armor with the stars of Theodore on it and <laughs> all that stuff. Really? Good question. I didn't even think about. It. Maybe they've got it left over from the time when the elves. Oh, they were elf friends. Yeah. Yes. You know what? We got we got something from the last age, and it's it's. I think it'll fit you. Uh huh. We've kept it. Yeah, nice and maybe. Polished up. Yeah, yeah. The other question I had is: Are we a hundred percent sure these ships will fit under this bridge? No. Nope. Nope. I <laughs> think. It's really fun. I would love to see that shot continued because I'm yeah. guessing their masts are going to hit three or four foot. <laughs> I'm hoping there's some force perspective that we're just not accounting Maybe. for. Maybe. Or, or it could be right. a drawbridge situation. The Numina, like, yeah, they got advanced drawbridges and stuff. But like, yeah, like not only too tall, but too, too. And also, why the fuck would you set your sails? And if you got to go through something that skinny anyway, I think fully unfurl the sails and they're going to go forward at 300 feet and have like, you know, at best a couple feet clearance all around. I mean, they're good sailors is all I'm saying. I wouldn't be yeah. that confident. I think I'd warp out. Uh, you know, or have have somebody like have someone row me out or something. But you know, they're they're super confident in how they can sail. I guess, <laughs> and I that they say, can fit underneath that stone bridge. I have all these problems with this final scene, but I know a lot of people do not. I know this is a minority opinion. I think everybody was like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, let's do this." At the end, of no, this everybody looks cool. I also wondered if like, shots, yeah, alone. 
they got three ships. They saw 500 men like our dudes just shoved into these ships or they scaled down the expeditionary force to three. Cause I thought that might be a compromise that like, all right, we're going to do the expedition, but now it's only three ships, 300 dudes. But like, I, but you can't, no. you can't just put 200 extra dudes on the three ships and say, and call it good. You have to fit supplies on there. Yeah. You have to fit their armor, their horses. Like, right. There's so much shit that they have to bring with Plus, them. like Numenor's got more ships, dude. Like if the queen wants to like, just like, okay, get two more out of the, the dock. Fair. Yeah. They have five ships for the whole kingdom. Like, no. So like, why are we only doing three ships? I, I thought that was, I, that was weird, but I don't know. Sometimes showrunners, um, they have goo, they, especially when they're talking like logistics and military stuff, they clearly have no clue. So, but I did scene look glorious and it looked amazing. It, 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 assuming the ships can fit in those bridges, them sailing off literally into the sunset was pretty glorious. Yeah. Uh, this is a huge fan service scene. And, if you are a fan, I yeah. feel like you doesn't, doesn't stir the serviced. stone, the stone hearted man across the mic from me. No. But uh, for everybody else, it's doing doing the giving the juice, the juice they seek. Yeah, uh, but that's it for the episode. Got anything else you want to talk about or? Uh, one other thing about the Isildur being a, a dork and a dick. Um, <laughs> I thought that. It was a nice moment of his friends being like, oh, your daddy got you this fucking position again. And then to find out that he's yes, but he's also the stable boy and yeah. they laughing at him and mock and like Isildur kind of like good nature like that did a little bit to redeem his dickishness that like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is pretty funny. And I kind of deserve all this. Still think he's a massive dick and I don't like him, but like I'm now at a nine or eight or nine out of 10 instead of a nine or 10 out of 10 for hating him. Okay. Yeah, no, that was, that was a funny moment. I like that. Uh, that'll do it for this episode. Then, uh, of course you have until Monday, uh, then the lore hounds will come with their all out of sort assault on the lore. And they're going to be backed up by Jim over here. Um, and then I will be helping him out for the next two weeks. And then David will be back. Thank God to, uh, to, <laughs> to help these deep dives into the lore. Uh, if you'd like to send us feedback for us and remember, we will have a lore corner uh, with the lore hounds on to kind of help us with the heavy lifting. Uh, send that in to dug too deep at baldmove.com. You can follow along with everything that bald move does at twitter.com slash bald move. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate having you really appreciate you listening and we'll see what happens next week on the rings of power. Until then I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.